This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Welcome to this week's episode of Body Talk, and today I am so chuffed to have these two guests on. They're not only awesome people, they're really, really great friends. Uh, the first one is the founder of Natural Bodies Myofascial Anatomy Courses and the lead dissector and designer on the Fascial Net Plastination Project, Gary Carter. And the other guest is the amazing Rochelle Clausen, who is a manual therapist and owner of Flourish Bodywork and a fascial educator and published author. In fact, she contributed a chapter on the Fascial Net Plastination Project to my last book, Fascia Function in Medical Applications. Welcome to the show, my friends. Hi, welcome. Hey, <laughs> good to be it, here. It is so great to really finally have you here. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't almost know where to start. We haven't seen each other in such a very, very long time. It took doing a podcast to us to actually have a have a Zoom chat together. Let's talk about the fascial plastination project and in fascial anatomy in general. So the plastination is the three-dimensional models of human bodies where you can see all the muscles, the organs, the bones, and the nerves. The most popular one is body worlds. And there are several others that do this too. But as a rule, there hasn't been much representation of fascia or fascial anatomy in these exhibits. And it seems to me that that's been the case in most anatomy texts throughout history. Indeed. Yeah, it's uh, been an incredible project, first of all, to be a part of. Um, when it first was announced, I quickly called Gary and said, do you know about this? <laughs> and he said, I've already signed up. I've already sent in my application. And the journey began. And uh, it's, it just continues to go. And I've learned so much through the process. And one thing I actually didn't exactly realize was the, what you just said, which is how little fascia is known because we haven't really seen it. And there's reasons for that, but uh, in, the, in any of the basic anatomy texts, and I will emphasize basic, which is what most of us have studied is basic anatomy, unless you have become you know, an advanced anatomist or you have gotten into the level of surgical text where you will start to see fascia because of course it's there and it has to be addressed when you're doing surgeries. Um, so those that have um, you know, that higher level of education, they certainly are familiar and have seen it, not familiar with all of its function, all of its innervation, all of this new research that has been done recently. But for the majority of the population, and even those that are would consider themselves rather knowledgeable about anatomy as trainers, as movers, as manual therapists, haven't maybe seen as much of it because most of the images in text have it removed so that we can see the much more famous structures that we uh, have been trained in, which would be first and foremost, I would say the muscle system, but then you get more detailed, you get into the nervous system, the cardiovascular system, and um, then maybe you'll get deeper into understanding ligament structures and that kind of thing. But to know how they're all connected to each other, it's just not drawn very often and it's not shown very often. Yeah, it's almost as if the in the Oscars, uh, fascia is constantly nominated for best supporting actor, best supporting actress, <laughs> and never wins in the anatomy Oscars. Yeah, that's, that's true. Excellent. It's, it's interesting, though, um, you know, because something that we had realized when we were 
um, at the Plastinera in, in Guben and, you know, drawing influences from the models that were actually there in their internal exhibition that they have. So they had their own sort of Plastinarian body worlds, as it were. Um, and the, the longer we spent looking at these exhibits, these pieces, um, started to realize that, oh, um, I, I can see a bit of fascia here. Oh, look, there's, there's a piece here, but there's little areas that have been cut and left in place. But basically the color of it is bleached. So it's a cream color. Um, we call it Gubin beige. And there's a big story behind that. Um, <laughs> is that a Pantone color? <laughs> I, yeah, but um, the, the thing with it is that all of a sudden, when you look closely enough, and there was a beautiful um, plastinated piece of a bear and when you got close enough to it, you could see some of the silver tones, but they were just the last vestiges of where the, the tissue had managed to hang on to its own color. Um, so of course we realized that there is some there, but they just weren't leaving lots and lots in place. And we'll get to this later, but now we know why <laughs> they didn't leave so yeah, much in place. We know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and There's quite a few you reasons, too. technical reasons. Technical there had to be technical reasons. I can, you give me a flashback to a body worlds exhibit that I went to in Cleveland. I like got a bunch of people together and we did a field trip from Pittsburgh. And uh, there was this perfect rendering on this one specimen of the, from the anatomy trains model of the lower spiral line. They just happened to be there. I don't think they intended for it to be there, but mm -hmm. the, the sling around uh, the, the lower leg and everything. And I thought, wow, I can't even take a picture of this, but there it is. Getting back to how you started. So Rochelle, you called Gary and Gary, you did what? Um, well, as Rochelle said, I, I, I think I had said that, yes, I, I've already signed up for it. But what, what became, what happened out of all of that was an ongoing developing relationship of work between Rochelle and I that were, was sort of two o'clock in the afternoon, two o'clock in the morning because of our time zone changes. And we were in constant contact with each other. It had just gone on, well, it was, it was all the time really. And we've, we've kind of developed this depth of friendship that's just gone on forever really. Um, but that from there on in, yeah, it just became, it was, a, it was a rush really. I mean, the whole process, the excitement of getting out there and really, you know, Rochelle knows this, we all traveled down on the train the first night and we got there in the dark. And, you know, we didn't quite know where we're going. And then there's these dark cobbled streets and they're completely empty. And we, I think we're expecting to be mugged by <laughs> plastic models and stuff. But it was a very exciting process from there on in. And yeah. there were many more people than just the two of you, weren't there? Well, the first team, and there's a, a huge um, uh, amount of people that came for that, that first uh, week of exploration really i mean it was a lot of dissection to see whether we could get some small pieces and, and make sure that it worked and um we had people like josie we had Sivan from as it israel um rochelle helped me out on this there's so many people I <laughs> mm -hmm. well i maybe you i can, can put a list set of it up a little bit as far as the phases of this i know we'd love mm -hmm. to actually because it's so true that there was i've never been a part of such a collaborative project and such a collaborative spirit 
um, and such a um, cooperative sharing of space and adventure with a group of people of this size in my life. And I think what was the common thread for all of us is that Robert Schleip was the, the originator of this, this movement forward of actually finally collaborating with the Plastinarium, even though many others had attempted over the years from the fascia community to see like, hey, can't we do this as a, as a fascia focused plastinate? And uh, it just was, the timing wasn't right. It wasn't possible. They didn't see the value for whatever reason, the timing finally came together. And Robert is, um, Dr. Schleip is, uh, people who know him know he is, has such an enthusiasm for fascia and such an enthusiasm for discovering or trying something new. He doesn't, yeah. I think he jumps into projects without knowing for sure they're gonna go, but Robert he's always once, willing to try. Robert once said to me, and I, I think about it all the time. He's like, David, I have made every mistake possible at least once and usually <laughs> out of enthusiasm. <clears throat> I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, anytime I make a mistake, I always think of that and go, be easy on yourself, dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. He's in, he's because... Sorry, Rochelle. His enthusiasm is, is so infectious. And, you know, to bring a group yeah. like this together from that enthusiasm is quite something. Yeah, and he set it up that way, and I think that's that's the thing is that it was we it was so contagious that we were willing to set everything aside and fly to the far flung corners of Germany in an unknown area to see if we could attempt to do something that might fail miserably, and we we were excited about it, <laughs> and it yeah. was because I think of the uncertainty of it that we knew we were in new territory and we knew we were trying something that hadn't been achieved successfully in the past um, that we really, really wanted to do it and wanted to try. And, and the diversity of the group was um, profound and the, um, the sharing of space and the, and when I say that, I mean physically the sharing of space. Like mm -hmm. there were about 20 of us in that first group and we had two tables and we were elbow to elbow, arm to arm, like literally leaning on the person next to you as we were doing our find dissection of whatever specimen we yes were working and for at. those of you who've and never been in the lab yeah. it's always close quarters <laughs> when you're doing these things you have to be really really chummy and kind to each other something quite remarkable that. happened as well I, I, in that first week because what i remember noticing is that it kind of self-organized and oh. started to kind of create the projects and made a list of them and you know, we started to see people start to take the lead in who would organize that list and how we would organize that and put it together and which pieces were going to be used for what. And it, it was a, remarkable to see it all occur. And, you know, Robert, one of Robert's sayings really is that if we're going to be studying this sort of material, the connective tissues, then we all need to be behaving like a connective tissue. Can we all connect with each other? Yeah. And, and Neil Thies would say, that it's when you have a certain threshold number of people like ants in an ant colony or birds in a murmuration, you, you automatically begin to self-organize. Totally. Too few and, and nothing happens, happens, too many yeah. and you have chaos. Yeah, and this is what happened. And it, it, you know, everyone then started to team up with who they felt they could team up with. And it, everything worked seamlessly. And, and that actually, you know, I'm looking at Rochelle here because you guys were on my screen. Um, there was that moment where it started to work seamlessly and it's been seamless from that moment till today. You know, there's, there's been bumpy rides, but the seamlessness has been the consistent continuity. And that's phenomenal. And, and not only is it phenomenal in any kind of 
exploratory endeavor like this, but you are actually having to innovate and create whole new techniques and approaches while you were self-organizing and learning how to work together as a group. Because this was very different from anything the Body Worlds people had done, right? The reason I, I'm looking at him because what we found out was that they there were some things that they had done that left enormous amounts of fascia um, in a particular exhibit that was um, these like slices of uh, of a body taken on the, on. Uh, can you describe it, Gary? Because I'm, I'm I'm having trouble. But you know yeah, what I'm referencing. So, yes. yeah, so we've got, it's, it's a series of cross sections. So at some point we had had a conversation with Dr. Vladimir Chromensky, and um, we were considering what might happen as a future piece in part of our planning. And um, I said, you know, why, I, I drew up very briefly an idea of sliced body and cross sections and Vladimir walked away and then he came back with his mobile phone <laughs> with an image on it and he said basically in the way that uh, Dr. Tromansky does in a very sort of flat manner in that moment he just showed me the screen and said we've done it already and I just stepped <laughs> back and I thought first of all I looked at the I looked at what we've been doing and thinking well what are we doing this for then <laughs> um <laughs> And it has it had been done about 18 years ago or something like that. So it wasn't done in Dr. Chomensky's time, Dr. Vladimir Chomensky's time at the Plastinarium. And he doesn't even know which part of the world it's in. Um, however, it did Inventory have- Inventory control, Dr. Chomensky. Exactly. But um, <laughs> it, it did have elements of muscle tissue in it and it had elements of bone in it. However, they, they'd actually attempted something of a similar ilk, but they weren't necessarily going for the fascia per se, but they were trying to show mm -hmm an expanded body and it was laying on the horizontal wasn't it It was suspended on cables so it was yeah. like someone laying mm -hmm. next to you sliced open um with a you know so they would be about 15 foot tall or something like that you know they'd be very long mm -hmm. um so things have been done and explored and experimented with before but uh, never to this extent so with such a huge task humans are bigger on the inside they really are <laughs> how do you figure out where to start <laughs> you start small. <laughs> <laughs> so like a you pinky? start with samples. You okay. start small. Well, our, and that's really what that first group was all about because the, the very original plan was to just jump in with both feet and start doing a full body plastinate layer by layer, kind of modeling somewhat after how Gil Headley's workshops go where you go, skin layer, superficial fascia layer, deep fascia layer, that we wanted to have models, three different models that would be in, co in continuous tissue, the whole fa superficial fascia body, and then um, the majority of the deep fascia body, and then the core structures body that would go deeper into um, the viscera and the meninges, but it was way, way a lot, way a lot to take <laughs> on all at once. And it was thought better to slow everything down. And that initial project timeline was under one year, which was not possible really. And so uh, the decision was made to stretch it out to three years and thanks to other pandemics, it's been stretched out to four or maybe closer to five years, but we're not complaining because we're happy we have more time actually to prepare certain elements um, before um, the debut in uh, at the Fascia Research Congress. In yeah, that's been the hidden year, benefit of the pandemic. 
I'm in, I'm involved in a you couple get of a little more time. too. And it's like, yeah, thank God we <laughs> yeah, got another year, man. Cause whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot so, to get done. So, so that first week um, that we had that team with that we were describing that was flowing so well, the first thing we did was take um, on the board, like what pieces do we need to dissect? Not just to see how we will approach dissecting them, but how they will handle the plastination process. So we had specimens specifically exclusive of superficial fascia, specimens that highlighted cross sections of deep fascia, and then one specimen that was visceral fascia. And this was to give us an idea of how to approach the dissection, as well as how the plastination process would affect the tissues, and if any of them needed a different type of treatment or just wasn't possible at all. So that was the start. That's where you start. You start with samples. Yeah, and um, it's it's interesting there because there's you know quite a number of the group um, had had various fascial dissection experiences in labs without necessarily sure, doing yeah. um, sort of detailed clinical anatomy type dissections. So because we knew how to go in at that level, um, we weren't worried about trying to get lots of clinical detail of other structures. All those other structures were being removed. Um, and that was really interesting to see. And, and very quickly, actually, a lot of the, the group gelled and you could see the dexterous skills in a lot of people. And also, um, it, it seemed from the outset that people that were selected for this or went through this also were putting um, together examples of their dexterous skills as, as examples of whether they had fine art skills, drawing skills, design skills, you know, sculpting skills and so on. So that came through very quickly because, you know, as Rochelle said, we only had a week. And, you know, as you know, and we've both, you know, all three of us have been in, mm -hmm. um, in labs for a week and you can, we can reduce a body down to, to bone really in a week, but it's not necessarily that tidy when you go through it that way because everyone's <laughs> no, moving at such a speed. And this, the, the constant thing that was happening, and we noticed this ourselves, didn't we, Rochelle, is that we had to keep pulling back and pulling back and pulling back. And it was slowing slightly to get the details. And then I remember personally, um, when I was working on the um, fascial art piece with, with Carla Stecco towards the end, all of a sudden time was running out. And all of a sudden we realized just how much detailed work there was required to clean it up because I couldn't leave it in a way we could leave something in a regular lab. This had to be so tidy. And all of a sudden it became a bit of a panic for me. <laughs> uh -huh. And how did you get through that panic? Um, I, I think I just held my breath and just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a bit miraculous that last day. I think things that we really didn't think were going to get finished somehow just did, which was, the, again, that sort of story that the whole week felt like, which is, you know, at the end of the week, looking at each other going, how did we just do what we just did? <laughs> because it, uh, it had a lot of uh, un unforeseen turns, like even just so if we can be more specific in the cross section of the thigh and of the lower leg, we were trying to remove the muscle tissue from the fascial bags. And in order to do that, um, you have to first of all know where you're at and what you're looking at, but then to be able to distinguish tissues from each other and to be able to distinguish where one thing ends and the next thing begins. And as much as we would love for that to be just peel it off, <laughs> they don't because the body is truly connected. And even things that you would think are more separate 
end up not being. And then you've pulled something away from something else. So for example, a piece of muscle fiber that seems to be mostly muscle, but now you've lost the integrity of the fascial wrapping that it was in. And that could be its epimysium or even the fascia lata itself has so many connections to that muscle tissue that relies on it for its, its integrity that things started to fall apart in places that we didn't want them to. Yeah, that's um, really... That level of detail blew my mind. It's quite yeah, surprising. Yeah. Yeah, so when things back. start to fall apart, what happens next? <laughs> we keep, well, I mean, I'm going to back Rochelle up on this as well. I mean, it's you know, we, we're really seeing that process happen in front of our eyes. And, you know, the, the, the full understanding of the integrity of everything to everything else. So it's not just about the fascia being the main thing. It's that everything else is so interdependent with it. You know, what was happening on one of the cross sections, of course, yeah, when a little bit too much muscle tissue was coming out, then as Rochelle said, a scepter broke apart. And the same as um, Rochelle just mentioned with the fascia lata, it was weakening and weakening and weakening the more tissue was being removed from it. And that that was a real eye opener. Um, and it was interesting, wasn't it, at the end, Rochelle, when we got to that point where everything was finished and dissected. And then, you know, Vladimir had... Um, Dr. Jarominski had said that, you know, he, he seemed quite confident, but um, it seemed like we had a little bit more to learn <laughs> that process. So we didn't know what was going to happen <laughs> next, but then everything was going to go through the plastination process at that point. And we also just learned the standard that the plastination um, of the plastinarium has, right? We had some pieces were like, it's good enough, right? And he was like, uh, no, <laughs> like they won't. And one of the things that um, Rurik von Hagen has, has said that his father, the inventor of, of plastination, uh, Gunther von Hagen said is that for good plastination, you must begin with good dissection. You cannot fix it. Like if the dissection is poor, the plastinate will be poor. So those, that first step, which is what our team was so miraculously and generously invited to actually do on the full body plastinate was, was quite an invitation because the level and standard required was extremely high and uh, is why it took a full six months is because we had to go slow. Yeah, there's something to be said for, oh, we can fix it in post-production. Not, not as much. Well, let's put it this way. Even with what seems like a perfect dissection, there still will be post-production cleanup because there are so many things that happen in the process. And that's what Gary's nodding his head about right now is because that's mm -hmm. where we are at this stage is that there was a lot that still needed to be done. So if you start with a messy dissection, it's just beyond, it's beyond capacity because of how much else happens during the process. Yeah, but I think it's great though that, you know, I mean, that's how you grow and develop is you throw yourself into a situation that forces you to up your game. And what a fabulous opportunity to be able to improve your own skills and work on such a groundbreaking project at the same time. And the game is being up Absolutely. because, you know, we've got someone looking over our shoulder all of the time who has the highest <laughs> standards and, you know, we, we need to, you know, we're constantly looking into his eyes to get that approval for that standard. And you know, that that's that was hard some days, and you know it could be mm -hmm. also soul destroying some days. So, you know, as much as we talk about the smoothness <laughs> of the ride, you know, Rachel will definitely attest to this. We all go through emotional journeys with this whole process, based on you know getting the best out of this this project, doing the best work that we possibly can, but also knowing that we could probably do better each time. And sometimes. Some days, those tissues are just not going to play ball with us. And we, the best thing to do is put your scalpel down and go for a walk. And there's yeah. many days <laughs> that stuff has to happen, you know. 
I was just watching a documentary with Steven Spielberg and he had planned this whole thing in Saving Private Ryan and they got to where he was going to shoot uh, this particular area and the sun was in the wrong place. So his entire oh. idea of how he was going to do this, and this was a, this was a ramp, this was an existing structure still from World War II that they had gussied up for the film. And he just said, okay, everybody, I'm going to go for a walk. And then he went for a walk and he came back and said, okay, here's how we're going to shoot it. He had to completely trash his original idea because it wasn't going to work and they couldn't stop. Okay. So this is, this is really quite interesting because <laughs> Knowing Rochelle, if we were in a situation and the sun was in the wrong place, I would say, well, okay, let's just, well, maybe we'll give it a little bit of time for it to move. And Rochelle would be, no, let's move the sun now. Let's find a way <laughs> to move it. We would actually go about doing it. <laughs> That's the thing. We would have found a way to remove the sun. Oh, the, the genius of Rochelle is that she would be able to make that happen and rally the troops to get it going. And also, yeah. you know, of course, this is a damn good idea, Rochelle. Okay, I've just <laughs> got to get up off my ass. Sorry, I'm swearing. And, you know, move out there and get that going. You know, and it, it's brilliant. And she's one of the, Rochelle had said, in a, a, this, I think this is one of the most amazingly creative processes that I have ever been through. And I worked in graphics for years. And, you know, what a team to work with. But also to, to do it shoulder to shoulder with Rochelle has been I think the highlight of my life, it's been one of the most amazing experiences. Well, we're at the point in the show where we need to take a break, but Body Talk will come back and we'll find out more about Rochelle's amazing gravity defying powers and ability to alter the heavenly bodies when Body Talk returns. Welcome back to Body Talk with my guests and my friends, Rochelle and Gary. Okay, Rochelle, what's your secret? How do you move the sun? <laughs> well, I've, I've only recently been informed of this superpower that I didn't really realize that I had. Oh, but it makes me laugh so much because what Gary's highlighting is the complement of Rochelle's stubbornness and willpower um, with Gary's uh, Aikido style, go with the flow that works so well for us and in, in all the things that we've been doing with this project so far is um, out of sheer determination, I have pushed things through that should never have seen the light of day. <laughs> I think just because I, I had a, you know, I've had such a vision that, that Robert cast for us from get go on um, the exhibits, you know, of the organization and all this kind of stuff that I just, you know, have, have pushed maybe harder than I should have on my own self, but to, with a lot of determination that this project gets the um, visual exposure that it needs in order to help people the way it would have helped me when I first started studying anatomy and or studying fascia anatomy in particular. Um, but my pleasure working with Gary was always how quickly he could flip the story on a dime. And we would hit a brick wall and he would recognize the, the futility of continuing through the brick wall <laughs> and would redesign. <laughs> and I'm sure he'll get into more and you should talk more about this element of how, um, you know, as, as the lead designer, it was an active role. And to this day is still an active role that he has been working with the director of the Plastinarium and the director of Body Worlds to get this design in place. He's holding up pages right now with sketches all over them. I'd be curious what the number of sketches arts hundreds at this point uh, because one thing wouldn't work and so he would move on to the next sketch and redraw it and uh that's i think why uh you know i don't know this this role is um very few people could fill it the way that gary has 
because of his flexibility and his ingenuity and his creativity and his just willingness to be wrong, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and not worry about it and just well, keep moving. And uh, I admire that. And I've, I'm trying to learn. As Einstein famously said, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't call it research. So, so Gary, you, you must've had a moment, uh, two moments where you were like, this is never going to work. We should just pack it up and go home. And, and what was that moment like? And when did it change? And when did you think, oh my God, we got this. We're going to make this work. Um, I'll tell you what, David, there wasn't a moment that that ever felt like that. There was the only time, actually, the, okay, the, the only time you that that say soul destroying. <laughs> okay, maybe there were 3,000 moments. Yeah, no, but this, but the, the soul destroying was that, okay, this, this tissue is not going to let me do what I want to do. Um, mm -hmm. There was this element to it. Reality so, okay. did not conform to your have I Have I overextended maybe what the design could be because it could be a little bit too adventurous right now at this early stage and, and so on and so on. However, you know, with all of our varied experiences and such an amazing team when it came to the full body plasma that we were working on, which is a completely different team to the initial pieces, um, that I, I knew also, and Rochelle and I would discuss this endlessly, is that we knew that, and this is crazy, isn't it, Rochelle, is that the right person was out there for the right period of time for the right job. It, it's amazing how that worked out. Totally. But one time when it came to the initial piece, when we were positioning our pieces for the um, first round, as it were, there was one day that it just wasn't working because we went back to, to position those pieces. And uh, we thought we were going to be dissecting. There was nothing of the sort. We were, we were sent into a room that was more like an old car garage. It was dusty and it had rods of metal and polythene laying everywhere. And I was given by one of the plastinarium staff a gray box, plastic box, and in it were kitchen knives, old kitchen knives. And he gave me some styrofoam and said, right, make a leg out of that because you've got to wrap your plastinated piece around that to shape it. And it, it was a horrible process because every time I started cutting this blue styrofoam, it broke up and went everywhere and stuck to my piece. Yeah. So I spent, I spent the first day picking out all the blue bits of styrofoam from my piece with tweezers and in the lunch break I, I sat on my own like a little school child sulking because I just thought <laughs> I can't do this I cannot do this I'm going home and then I just had to talk to myself and thought there's got to be a way around this you know you've come this far mm -hmm. let's move it on from there but um something that happened and I'll, I'll just go into this a moment and pass back to Rochelle is that when it came to these final pieces being positioned and that they were successful in, in what had happened with their positioning and Dr. Chariminski was really happy with what had happened. And of course mm -hmm. there was some trimming up that they needed to do. And we hadn't heard much about it for a while. And then um, Rochelle and I had one of those two o'clock in the morning conversations. And it was a conversation about, you know, how are they going to be presented? And Rochelle said, you know, how are they going to be presented? And, and you're talking about presented in Berlin at the fashion yeah, conference in Berlin. for the first and, um, time. Okay. When I'd spoken to Robert about it, he just, I think he'd just said, well, they're going to appear on a table. And, you know, the, the two, there was a moment of silence between Rochelle and I, because we knew that the, the dramatic effect that that wouldn't have. <laughs> Rochelle, <laughs> not to mention anybody wanted to pick them up and play with Ro them. Rochelle and... said the magic words, I'm not having these pieces look like a fashion garage sale. And that was it. And we just, both of us went to work on creating an exhibition. Of course, David, you were there and you helped us set that exhibition up. Oh, it was such and a great time. That, I mean, I thought that was a highlight. 
you know, and that was, and yet we've gone to another level because putting that together with Rochelle, that, I mean, that was an incredible experience to put it together. Very stressful as well. Yes, I recall God, it being very stressful. That's, God, that's we, what we discovered. You can buy gin and tonics pre-mixed in cans at the grocery store in Berlin. Yeah, I think we probably had too much of that. Yeah, that was lovely. Well, no, I we, mean, waited, Rochelle, we waited to respect it. I miss out on that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, guys, that this is this really had me realize how Rochelle and I could work together. And we knew that, we were such a such a good team that anything would be possible and you know I, I know Rochelle and I got a bit of critique for this but the thing we did was just stepped up to the mark and kept going and we didn't yeah. stop and we put our life and soul into it equally yeah it was it was a world-class exhibition and you know it was such a treat to to walk into that room when it was nothing and then suddenly 12 hours or so later it looked, it, it looked, as my voice. father would say, very professional. Um, and everybody who walked yeah. into that exhibit, I mean, the, the looks on the big wows on their faces uh, made it all worthwhile. And in that exhibit has actually been preserved in a way that everybody listening right now can check out, right, Rochelle? That's right. Thanks to one of our amazing team members, Lori Nemitz, and her gracious husband, Eric. Eric's company is AutoCast, and he goes around and takes images of public art and then interviews the artist describing their own art piece. And this is a free app. You can see where there's different ex uh, installations and exhibits around the world that are in this public art kind of domain. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty instant for Lori to say, hey, I think this platform would work beautifully for us to use in Berlin, that we could create a virtual tour guide, both with audio and then images of the plastinets with a description that you can either read or listen to in one of the beautiful voices of our team. There's also, you know, credit being given where it is due. And I know that, you know, our Gary and I have, like he said, just really stepped up to the plate because A, we had the passion and B, we had the time and the desire to do it. But the team is still everyone and it's so hard when you have so many people contributing with massive amounts of force and dedication to give everyone the credit that's needed and so I'm grateful that we have AutoCast where everyone's name is listed um, everyone's contribution can be seen in front of you to recognize that not one soul did this but many souls we literally have over 50 people that were directly involved in this project so yeah AutoCast yeah and that's OTO cast and we will have a link to this in the show notes. So big <laughs> splash in Berlin and then one of the pieces became part of a permanent exhibit of Body Worlds, right? Did that happen? Four, Four five, Four. five, six pieces, six pieces, six pieces, six pieces, six pieces right? Yes, yeah, three three, three are in Berlin and three are in Heidelberg. You're like freaking so, famous. Um, it's amazing. It's a beautiful exhibit. It's kind of mind blowing. I think when we saw it, our mouth sort of fell open. It's not just yeah. stashed in the corner of the exhibit. There's a whole wall in Berlin that has a guy foam rolling because that's what people know about fascia in Germany. They call them fascia rollers. They don't even call them foam rollers. So it's a an immediate like link with the public. The passion of Dr. Angelina Wally and Body Worlds is to bring it to the public, you know, the public education of anatomy. Dr. Von Hagens has this beautiful concept of the democratizing of anatomy, mm -hmm. that everyone yeah. should have access to understanding their own body. Like not just doctors yes. have bodies, we all have bodies. Yes, it's like living and in a house. And for it to be limited. Can you imagine living in a house and not knowing what a couch is? But that's how we are with our bodies. Exactly. 
never yeah. having seen it, never really knowing what it's for, <laughs> how, it works, how to keep it clean. Until something goes wrong with it or it falls off. <laughs> what it goes wrong with it, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. And so this, this like um, giving the people back the access, probably WebMD was the first thing that really started to bring the medical world into the living rooms of people to research their own symptoms. But but beyond symptoms and problems, just understand the, the, the complexity of the organization, the beauty and the diversity that lies beneath the skin. Angelina wants people to understand that she's she's amazing. She's a force. She is the force behind Body Worlds that took Dr. Von Hagen's work and brought it into the public eye. So its focus isn't medical. Its focus is public. The more medical side of that company is Von Hagen's Real Anatomy for Teaching. And they do make a lot of plastinates for medical schools that are very technical. So they have kind of both sides of it going. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) Now we have seen in real time the ability of Rochelle to move the sun. We've all heard it. Uh. (laughs) That is, to me, the glory of what plastination has done. Working with cadavers in a laboratory is a very special experience, and it can be extremely intense. And it lifts some of that and brings the human form back into almost back to life again. I feel like when you see a plastic, you don't feel like you're looking at a cadaver, even though it is truly, yeah. you know, dead tissue. Well, it truly they're very is lively. They're lived. very lively. They're dead very people. alive. And if yeah. you're not familiar with body worlds, there'll be a link in the show notes, but these, these yeah. are not stiff, uh, stiff cadavers just standing there. They're, they're running, they're leaping, they're doing things that humans do. It's just, you can see all of, or a lot of the parts and pieces. When I, when I was in Amsterdam, yeah. Uh, teaching a couple of years ago, th- there was a, a freestanding body worlds exhibit there. And it was so cool because I just happened to walk in and it's like, yeah, I, uh, I'm excited because I teach this stuff and I have a book and they're like, oh, and I gave them a business card. I'm like, oh, you get in free because you're an educator. <laughs> oh! I'm like, ah, get out of here. Right. And, you know, it was, it was kind of like an exhibit you might see and I don't mean to demean it in this way, uh, like another attraction at a place like Niagara Falls. Yeah, it has all sorts of different um, gimcrack and fun and funhouse kind of things. But here it is in the middle of all this stuff, three floors of maybe, you know, 20 feet wide row house kind of thing, showing these full body plastinates and trying to educate the public about their own bodies. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, we had the same in London and um, I would run um, talks at the Body Worlds in London. And David, you were due to come and do one of those. After yeah, the- yeah, that's right. The symposium. And my father came along to one of these um, series of lectures that I was doing, and he was a bit concerned about going because he felt a bit squeamish about, you know, seeing these bodies. And halfway through, he was captivated. You know, he, he was so fascinated by the whole process because, as Rochelle rightly said, it, it takes away some of that edge um, because there is an element that you're still looking at a model, even though these tissues are, you know, from human form. Um, but the plastic element to it, 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 it helps it. I think it helps the eye a little bit for yeah. the average person out there on the street to come in and be fascinated. And, and this leads us to the Holy Grail. Uh, what initially was the impetus for this project. So now that you've got like the IT band and the pericardium and these other samples, these proof of concept pieces, uh, the biggie is the full body, right? Mm. How's that coming? I think after the the success of what happened in Berlin, actually, it's quite nice to say that, isn't it, Rochelle? The it, success of what happened in the Berlin. The success of what happens in Berlin. Uh, yeah, Do- it Doctor, was successful. I think Dr. Cheromensky was very pleasantly surprised with what he saw. I don't think he expected mm-hmm. to see what we had produced. And 
we wanted to do it to respect body worlds, but we kind of created a fascia worlds and body mm -hmm. the the placinarium lent us some extra pieces to go alongside the pieces that we had so they could be comparison. And I think from that success, they saw how serious we were about it. And the full body was something that they were considering. There had been a meeting in Frankfurt with Dr. Schleip, Dr. Chermensky, Dr. Wally, and Rurik von Hagens and so on, and, and myself. And we were looking at getting possibly two bodies to go with. And um, Robert tried to go for three and got a kick under the table um, <laughs> not to do that. Um, but anyway, it, and then, you know, the, the, the body came up, the, the second, the, sorry, the full body form came up as an idea. And then we had to select a team really, or a team got selected by um, Robert and co. It became a whole journey from there of about, well, I think 15 of us from our FMPP. And then, you know, we were counting this up earlier, weren't we? There's about 18 that actually have worked on the body, which includes um, Dr. Cheromensky and our faithful assistant, who I adore completely, um, Alessandro. He was converted, wasn't he, to the world of fascia by the oh time. Gosh, we were always yeah. in the first month and he was converted. Yeah. So he came in as, yeah. a, as a muscle supremacist. Full-time staff member. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he's a full-time staff member of the Plastinarium and was dedicated to our team to work with us. And honestly, we thought that we would be overseen, you know, that we were kind of the, and, and although I would say, you know, a lot of very skilled dissectors in the team, it was sort of like the amateur team comes in and then the pros would show us to make sure that we did it right. Because um, mm -hmm. obviously we haven't dissected in the Plastinarium before. And we were, I, I was kind of, dumbstruck at like his attitude towards us from the get-go was mm. I am not your boss I am here to support you anything that you need you let me know and I'll make it happen that's fantastic and his yeah. um servant's heart like just so and so um completely taken with and taking in everything that we were telling him about fascia because the process of the plastinarium to reveal the muscle body and the other bodies of like the nervous system body and all the rest is to remove the fascia. And so genuinely we had a lot of interest from the other people in the plastinarium coming by the table to see what the heck we were trying to do because what they were over at the next table over scraping off, <laughs> we were carefully preserving as we pulled the muscles out, <laughs> um, which was a completely backwards to, to what they were used to. And they couldn't imagine why we were doing that. Yeah. So we, we got an opportunity to share. Yeah, one so of he's one of us now. Alessandro's yeah. <laughs> one of us. <laughs> yeah. We have him. This is very good, very good work. One of one of the staff mm -hmm. came over, didn't he, to to our table, and he said, "Oh, actually, you're you're actually saving the stuff that we remove, and you're removing the stuff that That's we right. save." And it, was, it was great, <laughs> you know. And they they That's agreed. we're from an alternate universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. how it felt. So so basically, it said, "Okay, we're ready to do a, a full body version of this." Uh, did you get to pick from among the subjects or they just said, here's the one we've pre-selected for you? How did that process work? So Dr. Angelina Wally had selected her. Okay. And um, it was interesting because I'd been through a whole process of working up some designs based on an original design that Dr. Jeremetsky had come up with, which was based on a male form and had a quite a masculine look to it, mm -hmm. um, which I've, I've, I've taken him to task on something on this as well, because... They've told us that the, the height of the form can be a bit too high sometimes. And the way that Dr. Cheromensky had designed the first one was way above the height that we've put our one in, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. So I had to catch him on That's that. That's true. Um, anyway, height? I sort of redesigned it into more of a dancer's form. Okay. And um, Rochelle has been in my mind a lot with this because we've based a lot of the design shape around Rochelle as well. 
and um, it's it was. I was chatting to a friend of mine, a colleague of mine who's an osteopath, and he was asking me about the process. And I said, yes, you know, design the body. And he said, hang on, hang on. How do you design a body? <laughs> and I thought, that's a really good question. And really, it's about, you know, and, and these are Rochelle's words, you know, creating vignettes for us to look into, mm-hmm. to see areas. And there's a lot there, really, when it comes to it. So we've, we've included elements from Tom Meyer's work, yeah, Vanderbilt's work, Gil Headley's influences, John Sharkey's influences, Andre Vliming's um, influences, and, and many more, including keeping continuity to the conference that we did in Berlin, so that we've kind of blended the two together. That, that's fantastic. But this is this is a process. There's the dissection, which you had how much time to do? Six months. Six months over a six month period. And then after that, what happens? The plastinating process is in stages. And the first stage is preserving the tissue. We don't work with fresh tissue for obvious reasons. One, that it won't hold up to six months (laughs) in in room temperature. Um, But the other is that they want stiffening of the tissues to give stability to them. So there's some critique of like how soft fix versus, you know, the typical formaldehyde firm fix. A firm fix of of the tissue is actually advantageous to the plastinating process so that it can hold up to being dissected and then put back into um, the bath and then brought back out day after day after day. So a fixed form is um, the beginning point. Dissection is the next step. And then when dissection is complete, it's a series of baths for the process of preserving the tissue through dehydrating and defatting. And uh, you can't just take a a specimen and immediately inject it with silicone plastic. It's not possible. There's a there's a, the phases of process. And the first is to remove all of the water by replacing it with acetone. And so that's done um, at a, well, actually, I, feel, I think the first process is the defatting because that happens at the higher temperature. So you're literally melting the lipids out of the tissue and acetone is, is replacing that. And then the dehydration is the water being replaced by the acetone. And then the acetone is able Able to interact um, through a vacuum forced impregnation that the, um, the container, the, the specimen is fully submerged in the acetone and, uh, or sorry, moved from the acetone bath into the polymer bath. And then that's put under pressure and the acetone literally bubbles to the surface. It actually bubbles out as the silicone comes in on a cellular level, replacing all of the acetone. So what you end up with is preserved tissue that is dry, it won't decay. So positioning is the biggest chunk of time that comes after that. Okay, so we're looking at six months to work on dissecting the body itself to give it the shape and the pieces and all those influences that you want. And then six months of preparation time to then begin the process to move it into the final form that eventually people will see. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And how long does one, that position? One little step that happens after oh. that, which is the gas curing, which kind of the clamps it's a a process of gas that mixes with the polymer to make it I like to say more the texture of like a of a basketball the 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 polymer becomes hard at that point and it's kind of honey-like and a bit gooey up until that point which makes the tissue supple enough for positioning but Mm. the positioning process I'll let Gary explain yeah I mean it's it's been wild I mean luckily we've managed to find a couple of windows in the COVID period of time. One was in September where one of our other dissection team members, Jahan Adam, had come with me to work on a body three. And then I was able to go back in December 
because I had seen some photographs of our form in a standing position. So she had come out of the acetone and the silicone, silicone. process. Silicone, yeah. yeah. So she's now in the stage that Joe was talking about, which is the slightly sticky stage, and that will last a long time. I'd be mm. worried about that period of time because it feels as if things would start hardening. But they it, is, is that the official? Acetone. Is that official plastinarium uh, jargon? The SSS, the, <laughs> the sticky, sticky stage. Yeah, <laughs> sticky phase. Yeah, sticky stage. <laughs> But, um, so anyway, I needed to get out there because there was, there was elements of position that, that didn't kind of fit right with the way that the design was originally. Um, so we could go, I could go out there on my own with one of their team members to do adjustments to the positioning. And it's quite amazing because she's standing in a frame and the frame is actually through her body pretty much as well to maintain um, mm -hmm. security to the structure. But for instance, to move an arm, you know, seven or eight inches from one place to the next took three days. Wow. Uh, the amount of work it took to, to make that happen. It makes um, me think of like the old stop motion animation. It's a bit like that, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's know, a good so, example, I mean, probably. And I had, to keep, I had to keep stepping back to keep looking. It's like, oh my God, this is an individual. This is this form that we've spent six months working with. Hadn't seen for up to a year is now in a standing position. And you could start to see the body world's type process coming through. It's, it's funny because, you know, it's we've awesome. been, you know, Rochelle and I and with all the rest of the team, we've always been, my God, this is actually happening. This is real. This is real. This is real. And then there was that stage again where this is real. This is real. It's, but I've been told now really that the positioning stage can take almost twice as long as the dissection stage. Yeah, because it, it has so to be a just lot to do now. So well, he's just talking about the gross position, right? The mat, the overall posture. We're not yeah. even talking about positioning little flaps of fascia to no. open up <clears throat> and show where you know where the 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 muscle is embedded into its uh, epimesial bag or whatever. None of that. We're not even there. This is just getting the person standing, you know, so that and it looks like a posture that's an elegant statue. Absolutely, and now we know why they hadn't hung on to um, plastinating large sheets of fascia because so much of it through this process shrinks uh -huh. and stiffens. Here's the big reveal. Which is what you talked about why. in the beginning. Here's oh, the big why. reveal. <laughs> so she, she will not move. And I'm going to describe it this way. And I, I know this sounds, this is kind of tough to hear. We're kind of all used to being in these environments, but to even attempt to move one of the legs, in the moment of attempting to move it, all of a sudden the bone would give before the fascial tissue would give. So in fact, wow. one of the bones would break because the fascial tissue would not allow it. So it was almost as the tolerances had switched. It was quite incredible. So stable. So stable. Yeah. Wow. So the collagen that, that's really a, that's And that, you know, we know how much fascia is formed, like the, the key ingredients, right? You have cellular material, you have fiber and you have water with the gags and whatnot. <clears throat> the water is a big deal. And so replacing the water now has been replaced with plastic. So you start to see how important the water is to the suppleness and the fluidity and the, the give of fascia is that's gone because now yeah. it's, a, it's plastic in there. And so the shrinking that has happened is because of, of truly, it's because of loss of water. Got, I've got a new term, super densification. So <laughs> <laughs> We'll get Antonio Stecco to write yes, a paper yes, on it. Yes, Antonio. <laughs> Super certification. So that's certainly how I feel. But the other thing, as Rochelle said, you know, the fine detail is yet to come, and that's going to be sometime down the line. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. of course, the individuals at the plastinarium don't know to, to look for those details because what's happened is some of the tiny flaps 
have stuck back onto themselves within the ah, sticky. So, so it's a bit just, like exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's like surround wrap that's stuck together in olive oil. You know, you've got yeah. To they're like secret. They're secret hidden doors. Yeah. So <laughs> we really need to make sure that they're absolutely cautious in the stages yeah. that our form is in right now when they're doing some of the other adaptations that at the moment we can't get out there to, to make. damage them. So do you remain confident that this piece will be finished in time? for the unveiling at the next Fashion Research Congress in 2022? Yes, um, we've got the time now. You know, it was going to be 2021 and there was no way that we were going to make the time because of what's happened. But um, we've got mm -hmm. extra time mm -hmm. on our hands. We mustn't waste that extra time. I don't think you will. I do not <laughs> think you will. Hey, speaking of which, our time is close to up here. So Gary, Rochelle, I want to thank you so much for joining me here today. This is as much fun as I thought it would be. Any any last words <laughs> about the project? Um, my last words are that I've I've really enjoyed every moment of it, and there's no way that any of this could have been done without Rochelle by my side. Thanks, thanks. It's amazing. Teamwork is amazing. And into that same vein of gratitude, I just want to thank Jahan, Tiaja, Stefan, Gina, Lori, Fauna, Elizabeth, Tracy, Bruce, Adrian, Joel and uh, Johannes and Beverly. And that is the team that did the dissection. Absolutely. And I know that's not everyone that did the first layer, the first round, but uh, you guys made this a magical experience beyond just the being in the dissection room together, sharing wisdom, knowledge, um, humor, <laughs> and Absolutely. just uh, the experience of living together during the time that we were there. We were living in a guest house and working from 7 a.m. until 4 p.m. and then drawing and cooking and everything else afterwards. It's um, it's so far exceeded what its uh, original like adventure plan was even. The amounts of friendships that have grown are beyond my understanding at this point. Like mm. my best friends are in opposite time zones of the other side of the planet, <laughs> which is sort of frustrating, but it's amazing to know people from all over the world that have such a heart, passion for what they do and their passion to share this information with their clients and their students. It just warms me when I think about it. And it's, a, it's been just a real gift. Yeah, they're an amazing, amazing team. It's, it's, I think the creativity of that entire team together has been second to none. It's, as mm -hmm. uh, Rochelle said, it's, it's been mind-blowing. All right. And, and to you, you David, get... for supporting this project the way that you have. I'm sorry, yeah. just to thank you, because you were there. You helped us set up with the exhibit, and you've made such an effort to include this project in your most recent publication, and now you're spending the word on your podcast, and your enthusiasm and support has meant the world to us as well. Mm -hmm. well, so well, thank well, you. well, thank you, because I, I, I no, got to be so honest. important to us. I, I was having a lot of FOMO about not being there. <laughs> I know yeah, and there are a lot of people that could have been that couldn't you know yeah oh no yeah. it was just it was it was not in the cards for me when I had my free day in Berlin and you and Gary are like hey we could really use a hand setting up this exhibition I'm like yeah I'm there <laughs> you know it's <laughs> like yeah forget about that other stuff um uh no this is going to be way more fun um but I really appreciate the way that you have included me in on as much as you could because uh, you know you can't do it all that's why there's great people like you and Gary out there in the world doing and Jahan and all those other folks and your names will be in the show notes because Rochelle's going to make sure but I want to <laughs> I will you. make sure <laughs> I want to thank you for being on the pod today we'll see you next week on Body Talk thanks for tuning in folks This is David Lasondak. Thank you for listening to Body Talk. If you enjoyed what you heard, please 
hit the subscribe button. And if you'd like to become a sponsor of the show, go to patreon.com slash body talk radio. This is David Lasondek saying, remember, it's all connected. See you next week.